want you to think about this. Why is the year 365 and a quarter days long? And why isn't it 400? Why isn't it 100? Well, that's, we know, because that's how many days it takes for the earth to go travel around the sun, to make that one circuit around the sun. Okay, a day. Why is a day exactly as long as it is? Well, again, we know why that is. It makes sense. It's as long as it takes uh, for the earth to revolve around once. So you go from uh, the sun up to the next day doing that. It's the rotation of the earth. If we wanted to change the length of a day, that wouldn't make sense because it would take us all out of our rhythm. Everyone was out of rhythm last week a little bit because of daylight savings time. Uh, but, you know, normal days, it's 24 hours because that's how long it takes to, to go around. Think of a month. Why is a month approximately, and I know some months are a little bit different, but they're about 30 days. But that's also something that's embedded into creation, that a month is about that long because it goes by the phases of the moon and go from you know, one full moon to the next full moon, or a new moon to a new moon, just that it takes that long uh, because it has to do with the, the moon making its circuit around the earth. Okay, so we got those things figured out. Why is a week seven days long? I want you to think about that. And there's nothing that's the same with, there's nothing with the sun, the, uh, the earth spinning around, uh, the moon. Why couldn't a week be five days? Why couldn't a week be 10 days and have a longer weekend? Why couldn't you do something like that? Well, the reason that a week is seven days goes back to God's creation in the book of Genesis and how it records this. And this is why everyone uh, that we use the, the, the calendar of a week of seven days, it goes back to God's creation of the world in six days of creation plus the one day of rest that is at the end. So it's that day of rest, that seventh day that we're going to be talking about especially this morning. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. I want you to know I worked really hard on this sermon about rest, uh, so, ironically. <laughs> so let's look at this passage again, and you see just this emphasis that is given here, uh, God inspiring Moses to write it this way, Talking about the seventh day, it mentions the seventh day three different times. Is it wasting ink or is he drawing uh, emphasis to this? That there's something about the seventh day that we really need to, to look at. And when we look at this, it mentions the seventh day three different times. And it mentions with each of these things that God had uh, done on the seventh day. something about them. So first we see that on the seventh day God had finished his work that he had done. So it was completed on day six. It was done. So now it says that he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. And then finally, God blessed the seventh day and God made it holy. To be holy is to be set apart. To be, it's not a common day. It's not there for, for common use. There's something special about it. And the seventh day is the only one that God says that specifically that he blessed this day. 
So, as we think about this, uh, with those things giving us some kind of framework, well, the first point that I want to bring out in this message is that God rested on the seventh day because he had finished his work of creation. He rested, he could do this because he was done. There was nothing more to do as far as creating the world. Think about a calendar again. Sometimes uh, we have them on our phones now, but if you had one on the wall, sometimes we write in different things that we do each day. If we think about the calendar of God's creation week, and we write in there the things that God had uh, highlighted and, and accomplished on each of these days. So remember, Sunday is officially the first day of the week. And sometimes we have calendars where it lists Monday, and I, I get why we do that, but it's not actually the first day of the week. Sunday is. And that goes all the way back to the creation of this world that God, uh, day one of creation is listed in Genesis is when, uh, after it says, you know, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was formless, it was void, and then God created light. And it says that was day one. So God creates light on day one. It's kind of interesting to look at this and think about which things happen on which day of the week. Then we have uh, the sky. God separates the expanse uh, from uh, the, the waters above and the waters below. So there's now sky uh, that is created on Monday. On Tuesday, you have dry land that appears. You have plant life that God creates. And then uh, Wednesday is when we have on this that God creates the sun. He creates the moon. Uh, he creates the, the stars. Uh, notice he did create the moon on moon day. On moon day. Kind of, kind of, it seems like a missed opportunity. Uh, but this is what happened on, on Wednesday. We have this and then Thursday, the fish and the birds, the so things that fly, things that, that swim. And then finally, Friday. If there's a reason you love Friday. It's because human beings also were created on Friday, ready for the weekend, ready to go. Okay? So he creates the land animals, and then finally, as the apex of his creation, created order, he creates human beings, Adam and Eve, uh, on this Friday. And the thing about it, too, if, uh, you know, we're used to Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I guess if you wanted to, you could start referring to these Sunday, you could start calling it light day, okay? You have sky day, and then, uh, you, know, um, you know, land day. Now, Wednesday, you can't really call it Sunday, that would be confusing. can't really call it moon day. That would be confusing too. You call it star day. You could do that. I think Thursday, you can't really go with bird day because that sounds like you're saying happy bird day to you. Uh, but you could call it you know, fish day, I guess. And then, and then human day. So if you wanted to do that and just confuse everyone around you. So I uh, hope you come out to uh, star day Bible study, by the way, in our <laughs> events that we have during the week. But then you have this last day of the week. And we say this, it's, we want to map these on the right days because sometimes we think of, well, this Sunday is when we get together and that's when we worship. Uh, but that's not actually when the Jews got together and, and worshiped. That was on Saturday. The Jewish Sabbath was on Saturday because that's the, the final day of the creation week and that's when God rested, when he was done with his uh, creation. And also, technically, according to the way that the Jews reckon this, uh, the day started with the evening and then went into the next day. Uh, but this would be uh, the creation week. And so because of this, God rests on this, this last day, the seventh day. And he blesses it and calls it, declares it to be holy. One thing that we need to point out, 
We think, well, God rests. Yeah, I guess I'd be pretty tired too if I had to create the, the whole world and the universe. It seems like a lot of work. I'd be pretty tired. God did not rest because he was tired. That's just something we need to make clear on. That's, that's not how this works. Uh, God doesn't get tired. When it says that God rested, uh, what it means literally is that he just he ceased. That is what the word, uh, the Hebrew word actually means. It doesn't necessarily mean this idea of, oh, he's wiped out, he's got to lay down, he's got to get in his easy chair. It just means he ceased. For you mus- musicians, when you're playing music and there's a rest uh, in the music, uh, usually you get to that, you're not like laying down on stage if you're a worship leader, like, oh, rest, I'm going to take a quick nap. It just means you don't play at that moment. That's what a rest is. So you cease from playing. So God, when he rested, he wasn't tired. It means that he ceased from working, and that's because he was finished. And we know that God does not get tired. Isaiah 40, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. Bible straight out says that. God doesn't get tired. His understanding is unsearchable. Let me keep reading because, you know, God doesn't get tired, but we do. We sometimes get really, really tired. And if you're here and you're at the end of your strength, the end of your stamina, let me read the rest of what Isaiah 40 says. Verse 29, He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run but not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The God who never grows weary is here to lift you up and to rejuvenate you with what you need. So it wasn't because God was tired, but he was finished. And he was, one hand, he was taking time to, to look and look out at his creation, uh, to enjoy it. Uh, but one thing we can also see is that God's work of creation is complete. It was completed on the sixth day. But God continues his work of providence. So there's a sense where you could say, well, God, is, is he not working at all? And there have been people that had what is uh, called like a deistic view of God. That God is like this clockmaker. And he designed this clock, he set it up, he wound it up, uh, ready to go, and then everything goes beyond that. It's just mechanical and this, this world functions. And he can just leave because he's done. And he doesn't need to be involved in this world, in this creation anymore. That's called deism. But we don't believe that's true. God had finished with his work of creation, but he has not abandoned this world. He is still involved in it, and he is still, in a sense, at work. And we can know this is the case because one of one thing that Jesus said. Jesus, this is in John 15, and Jesus had just healed someone, which that's a nice thing for him to do, but he also healed someone on the Jewish Sabbath. When they said, well, you're not supposed to do that because you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And of course, in the Old Testament, there were things they weren't supposed to do, but there were also, by that time, a lot of legalistic man-made rules that had cropped up as well. And so Jesus was uh, 
not feeling obliged to have to obey the man-made rules. And so he had mercy and he healed a paralyzed man on the Sabbath. The Pharisees, you know, these teachers of the law were criticizing him. How could you do this? And one of the things that Jesus said in John 5, 17, Jesus answered them, quote, My father is working until now and I am working. That's something to ponder. His father is working. Now, that doesn't mean that the father was still creating because creation was done. But I think it was referring to the fact that God is still involved and his providence means that God is upholding this world. Think about this. God created this world, but again, it's not like a clock that he just made and walk away. Uh, if God didn't continue to uphold this world, I believe we would just drop instantly into non-existence. So he, he sustains this world. He keeps everything real and, and actual. So that's part of when we talk about God's work of providence. Uh, this is something that God is doing all the time. Along with this, the doctrine of providence means that God is working in and through just regular cause and effect. And so there's one sense in which, yep, we do things, there are causes and effects, but also God is working through that. And so another way to say this, you pray for somebody to be healed and God works through, it doesn't always have to be divine intervention from outside of this world. More often than not, God works through the medicine. He works through uh, the doctors. He works through the healing abilities that he has embedded into your body. But you say, well, I'm not going to give God credit for that because he didn't do a straight-out miracle. No, we should give God credit anyways when someone gets better because God is working even in and through these natural means. And that's part of God's providence. And another part of God's providence is God just governing the world, directing it, ordering it according to, to his goals and with his purposes, the ends that he has in mind. But notice Jesus is putting himself on the same level of God, the Father. That God, hey, he can't take a day off in that sense because then the world falls into existence. You know, what is it, one day a week that, you know, just nothing is governed by God, everything is absolute, you know, chaos and a mess because God, he's, he's, he goes on vacation, he takes a nap. No, that's not how it is. But Jesus is saying in the same way as his Father is working, he is working as well too. There's an indication that Jesus is saying, hey, put two and two together here. I am also God. And I am God the Son and I am at work. And we also know this from what is said in the Bible in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. Talking about Jesus the Son, it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So that is something that Jesus is doing right now. The Son, he is upholding the universe, keeping it existent, in existence, keeping it going. So God's work of creation is complete. So he, he's not creating new things. Uh, that part is done, but he's now in a different phase where he is upholding, uh, directing, and working through normal things. Now, God can still do miracles if he wants to. He is, uh, has the right to do that. He can intervene. But normally he works through uh, these other, uh, normally through the regular cause and effect relationships working through that. But God is done creating. And as Pastor Nick talked about last time uh, with the, the creation mandate or the, the cultural mandate, God created this world and he created it good, 
but he did not create it in a way that you already had 8 billion people and you had cities and you had technology. And he told Adam and Eve, and therefore telling us, that he wanted, in a sense, us to pick up where he left off, to continue that work. Now, we can't create out of scratch ex nihilo, but we can take the material what he has, has given us in our minds and our bodies and uh, to develop this world, to take this world that God has created. And it's good that we did. And God told them to be fruitful and multiply, to add more people to this world. And again, God could have just created this world with 8 billion people, but he wanted us as a part of it and to develop this world, to tend to it uh, and to care for it. So there's a sense where God is calling us to pick up where he left off. Take time to praise the Lord. That's a big part of why he ceased to take this all in. And I think we are called to, to do this as well too. To praise the Lord for his creation that he made. Uh, take time to look at this in the world around us. Uh, to, to see the, the beauty of it. Uh, to learn about God's creation. Also thank God now for his, his daily providence in our lives, that he upholds us. He gives us strength when we are weak. Uh, he works in and through our lives. He directs our lives. He directs your life to the, the goals, to uh, the things that he is accomplishing in and through each of us. God is at work in those ways, and we need to recognize him and praise him for that. Second, when we look at verse 3 especially, we see that God blessed the seventh day and he set it apart as holy. So we want to think about what does this mean? What are the implications for us with this? And there are going to be things we need to think through too because this is saying that, okay, well this is, for the Jews, this was Saturday. Does that mean we're supposed to treat Saturday like that? And so what are we doing here today on Sunday? And we're going to see that there are reasons for that. But we're going to first talk about what this was to the, the Jewish people and in the Old Testament period. But one of the things that I think is important to recognize what God was doing, why did he create the world in six days? Uh, why didn't he take a different amount? Why didn't he just create the world instantly? Uh, it wasn't that it was such a big job that he had to split it up in six days, and that is the reason. There's a lot of things that you know, we can't accomplish in one day, but God could have you know, just let everything exist, and boom, it's, it's there. You know, Adam and Eve in creation, it wouldn't have required God to take even a second to do this, right? He had the power, he had the wisdom to do this. But I think part of the reason that we see from Scripture why God created in the way that he did is he was giving us a pattern. He was giving us a pattern for work and for rest. And so God worked for six days and then ceased and, and rested on the last day. And again, not necessarily because he was tired, but he knew that we would be. He knew that we needed to cease from the daily grind, from the ordinary, from all these things that we need to do to rest and to rejuvenate and to worship him. So God created the world to give us a pattern of work and rest. It was six days of work and a day to rest. And as we're going to talk about, I think there's different people that need to hear different parts of this emphasis. Some people need to notice that there is a time to rest and that it is good. There's a time to cease from the, the normal, the ordinary, 
Okay, pencils down, focus, and think about God. Uh, there's some people also that need to notice also that there are six days to work. And that work is not a bad thing. Work is a good thing, despite the way it is presented sometimes. Once again, we are in Genesis chapter 2 here. Okay, God was working. He is going to, uh, we're going to be seeing that Adam and Eve is called to work in the garden to do this. Work is something that is created before sin enters the world. This is when everything was still good and in order. Okay, so work is not a part of the fall. The fall, we're going to see when, when sin enters this world, makes work difficult. It makes work frustrated. But work itself is a good thing. God was a worker, is a worker, and we are called to be like God and to work. It is a good thing for us to do. And so even though we talk about, um, we're going to be talking a lot about rest here and what we need to do, uh, we need to make sure there's a right balance in our lives, the right rhythm to this. And there might be some people and, uh, that need to hear, especially about the rest, but others that need to hear about, you know, get to work first, okay? And rest at the end, after you're tired, after you have reason to, to need a rest. Uh, I think, you know, they talk about the peril of the pendulum. You know, a pendulum, you can swing from one extreme to the other. And I think for many, there has been uh, the pendulum on one extreme where it's like work, 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 you work yourself to the, to the death, you work yourself to, to burn out, burn that candle on both ends, burn it in the middle, throw it in the fireplace, you work, you work, you work, and your life is about work and that's everything. And there the pendulum is on that one extreme and they're risking burnout. And they need to be told, you need to take a time for rest. You need to take a time to, to cease, to focus on God, to, to rejuvenate yourself. And so there's been a lot of messages about self-care and the, many things about that that are good. There's many people that they've heard these messages, but they've really swung the other direction. And everything is about rest and everything is about self-care before they've even worked enough to, to, to be tired for this. Uh, a few weeks ago, Pastor Nick sent me an article uh, from uh, Trevin Wax, and we had some we talked about this, and I th we think there's a lot of truth in this, talking about this pendulum and where it's swung. I want to read just uh, some excerpts from this, but basically saying that for many, the pendulum is swung from fear of burnout to an overemphasis on self-care. Trevin Wax writes, but just as some might twist God's calling and our work into overwork and overexhaustion, that fails to recognize our human finitude and limits, others might twist the gift of self-care into self-absorption or even just laziness. We might fall for the idea that hard work in itself, whenever it's difficult or painful or exhausting, is inherently damaging or a sign that something's wrong. So some people have taken it that just if you work and it's hard, that well, there's something wrong already. It continues, the recent push towards self-care is designed for men and women who assume the long hours, hard work, overextension, and burdens of ministry are just par for the course, an element of what it means to fulfill God's calling on your life. But what happens when the assumptions are reversed? When the push towards self-care is heeded by people who assume 
they owe it to themselves and to the world around them to take care of themselves first and foremost. I'm tempted to say, burnout? You haven't even burned. So some need to hear that message, that hard work is a good thing, and it's good to get yourself where you're actually tired and coming home, both in work in your employment situation, to work hard, to put in the hours, to not be uh, quiet quitting the way many people are today, or just assuming that everything needs to be easy. But then there's the other side, that there does need to be that time of rest, because you can't keep going like that forever, every single day. We're not meant for that. It's not good for you physically. It is not good for you spiritually, emotionally. Uh, your body will suffer. Your relationship with, with God will suffer. Now, sometimes there are times where you just got to do what you got to do, and you have to burn the candle a little bit more, but there's, you, you can't keep doing that forever. And that's why God wants us to hear this message that there needs to be a time to, to cease. Uh, before I was the pastor here, I was um, full-time staff at a, another church, and at one point I got uh, accepted into a PhD program. And so I started this, and I got into the PhD program, and I realized, well, I, I needed to, to keep my ministry going at the, the church, and there were long hours there, and in the PhD program, it was, it was a lot of work. I mean, just lots, I mean, for some classes, it's reading one, like, thick, you know, book every week, and you get together and you talk about it, and the class is only like a, a few students around the table with a professor. You can't just come and fake it. Uh, you have to have read this. Um, and so well, what I realized is the other students, there was only kind of a handful of us in that year, but I, I think everyone else, they weren't working at all. I mean, they were full-time PhD students, but I was doing this and I was working at the same time. And so oftentimes I would go to class all morning. I would come, I would put in you know, eight plus hours uh, for, the, for my job and what I needed to, go home, see my family for a little bit, put them to sleep, and then I would stay up until almost daybreak doing the reading, maybe sleep an hour or two, go to class, have the discussion, and just repeat. We're not meant to do that. And I think after a while, it's like this was taking a toll on me. I mean, Red Bull can only come to your rescue so often. <laughs> And I think after a while, I just noticed the gears are turning slow. And uh, I was able to shift things after that because I just couldn't go at that pace. But I think it, I think it did a number on me. Sometimes I think it took me a few years to kind of snap back from that. And sometimes I wonder if I ever really did or if I have some kind of permanent drain bramage. <laughs> I don't know. So hard work, it's a good thing. But... You know, if you're a workaholic, if you're finding your identity in your hard work, this can be something that you especially need to hear, that there's a time you need to cease. And to recognize that it's not up to you to keep the world spinning every day. God's got that, okay? And it's, if you think that your success in life, your family, even your church, just anything, is, it's up to you. And if you take your foot off the gas for one minute, everything's gone. No, God has it, and God designed the world and your life and your callings that there's time where you need to be able to take the foot off the gas and to, to rest and recharge and cease so you can focus and worship on the Lord. This command for the, the Sabbath, 
Uh, God made it holy. Later on, it gets called the, the Sabbath, and it's the fourth commandment. We'll see that in a little bit. But God did this with us in mind. He knows that we have limitations. He knows that we need this. And God commands this to us as a gift to us. He's not sending us to our room uh, as a punishment, saying, you go lay down. He's doing this because he knows that we need this. Jesus, Mark 2, 27, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God set things up like this for our good. As I mentioned, keeping the Sabbath was part of the, the Old Testament law. It uh, was debates as far as how much they understood or if they kept this as a Sabbath before the time of Moses. Uh, but by the time of Moses, it was definitely given as, this is one of the Ten Commandments. This was number four. So under Moses, the fourth commandment, Exodus chapter 20, 8 and 11 read, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. And so notice it's to the Lord. Okay, so you're ceasing, but there's also a God focus here. It's not just about taking a nap. The Sabbath to the Lord. And on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within, who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And this is something God enforced too. Uh, in Exodus 31, 14, it says the penalty for this uh, it says, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. So God was serious about this with the people of Israel. And there are occasions where people were punished in that way because God took this as something that was very serious. The ancient Jews often ignored the Sabbath and were called on for this. They were judged for it. But on the other hand, there were those that became legalistic about it too. And they created for themselves a lot of just absurd rules to go beyond this. And sometimes they're trying to create loopholes to get out of things. And so sometimes they say, well, you can't travel on the Sabbath. But some would literally like tie a string to themselves and to their house. Because they said, well, I'm connected to my house so I can, I can actually go a little bit further because I'm actually connected. So it's like, okay, you're, you're making more work now to do this uh, so that you can keep into your little rules. Uh, you're, you're missing the main point of this. I read that there was debates that, uh, along this line uh, with the Jews because they said, well, you can't plow a field. And so they would debate, what happens if grandma falls in a field and you need to get her back? Could you put her back? Could you drag her back on a cart? And some said, no, you can't do that because you might accidentally plow your field while you're doing this. It's like, okay, you're, you're missing the point. You know, and, and Jesus said as well, you know, if you have a, you know, one of your farm animals that falls into a pit on the Sabbath, you're going to pull it out. And Jesus is healing on the Sabbath. We're not to get legalistic about it, but it was something that was meant to be kept serious. So why are we here today? Because today is Sunday. Today is not Saturday. And Saturday is when the Jewish Sabbath is. 
Well, under the, the new covenant, which is what we're under now, we're not under the, the Mosaic covenant anymore that has uh, been surpassed by the new covenant. Uh, the death of Christ brought this into uh, existence. Um, can we take communion? Say this is the, the blood of the, the covenant. So this has been inaugurated. And ever since Acts 2, we've been in the, in the church age, in this new era. So under the new covenant, we don't keep uh, the Jewish Sabbath. So that's something we need to realize. Instead, Christians worship on Sunday as the Lord's Day because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. And so our day of worship and focusing on the Lord has shifted from, uh, from Saturday as the Jewish Sabbath to Sunday, and that's why we're here today. The fourth commandment is actually the only one of the Ten Commandments that was not repeated. All the others, they are repeated in the, the New Testament, the New Covenant era, uh, but this one isn't. Now, does that mean we're wasting our time? It doesn't apply to us at all. Uh, I'm going to argue that I think there's still some principles here that we really need to think about. But also, there are verses in the New Testament that do cause us to realize that uh, this is not something that at least we keep in the same way. And we don't have time to look at all of these, uh, Romans 14, 5 through 6, Galatians 4, 9 through 11. But let me read to you Colossians 2, 16 through 17. It says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or Sabbath. So there's some area of Christian liberty here. It's something not to pass judgment. And then verse 17 in Colossians 2, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So even the Old Testament, um, the Sabbath, had another meaning that people didn't realize right away. But it was a shadow. It was a, it was a type. It was something that was pointing ahead to the ultimate rest that we would be able to find in Jesus Christ. That's why it says this was a shadow, but the, the substance, the actual reality of it, of it belongs to Christ. Think of it this way. If I'm at home and let's say I, I'm reading and my wife comes up behind me and I, her shadow okay, might let me know that she's coming. So I'm reading, I see a shadow. I'm like, oh, I think it's my wife. I think she's showing up. However, once I see her, it would be weird for me to give my attention still to her shadow rather than to her. And so this is one of the things that is a shadow it points to Christ, but our, our main focus is on the Lord, is on Jesus Christ, on the real person, the substance that is behind it. As I said, Christians worship on Sunday. We don't worship on Saturday uh, as the Lord's Day because Jesus rose from the dead. And there are places in Scripture we can look at where we see this. And uh, Acts 20, verse 7, on the, talks about the first day of the week. You have Christians gathering together. Remember, the first day of the week is Sunday. It uh, talks about it again. 1 Corinthians 16, 2, talking about churches taking up a collection on the first day. So they're, they're gathering, they're doing that. So we do our giving. Um, there's something they, we gather together. They didn't have online giving like we do. They come in and do this also on the first day. In Revelation 1.10, it 
John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And so he refers to there the uh, first day of the week, Sunday, as the Lord's day. And it's the Lord's day because Jesus Christ rose from the dead on Sunday. And so think about it this way. This is neat when we think about it. You have the creation week. The original creation, it starts on Sunday. It's the first day of the week. Christ could have rose from the dead on any one of these days, right? We know it wasn't just happenstance. God was doing something and there was significance in this. Christ rose from the dead on, not just on Sunday, but on the first day of the week. And so, you originally, you have creation starting on the first day of the week. And now we have new creation starting on the first day of the week. We have this new thing where Jesus has risen from the dead, the, the first fruits of this, this new creation, this new world that God is bringing about. And remember what Scripture says that if you are in Christ, if you have trusted Jesus Christ the Lord as your Savior from, from sin, you are a new creation in Christ. That you are part of this, this new creation. And one day, Christ will return and there will be a new heaven and a new earth that God is bringing about. And all this started on that Sunday when Jesus rose from the dead. And therefore, it is completely appropriate that we gather together on Sunday, on the Lord's Day, to celebrate not just uh, the, the original creation, but the, the new creation brought around by Jesus Christ. And let me say to you as well, when we think of this as a day of rest, don't just think of it as a day that you, you can sleep in or you can go home and, and take a nap about, uh, or just a day to have recreation, but it's a day that God has planned for you to have recreation, for him to uh, make you new again, to be working in your life. That's part of why we get together. We worship him. We focus on the Lord. And through this, God just uh, keeps working to, to rejuvenate us, to give us that strength that we need. And he does it each day. It's not that he stops the others, but it is a special day for us. And I think a day that we need to treat, not in a legalistic way, okay, but in a way that we are giving God our focus here on Sunday as this, this day of recreation. So let me give you just three further applications with this. One, trust God with your time. Our time is valuable. We think our money is valuable. And we also we know we're called to give a portion of our, our finances for, to the Lord's work. But for some, our time is worth even more to us. But are we willing to give some of that time to the Lord? Now it's all his and we should be thinking about him and our whole life should be about him. But some of that is, that is focus time. And we all have callings in this world, okay? And you have a calling in your home. You have a calling uh, pr- probably in, in, oftentimes in the workplace and in society. There's different callings. And in all of these callings, we do worship God at least indirectly, you go, you're doing good work, you're involved, your families, your community. We're worshiping God at least indirectly. But I believe we also all have a calling to worship God directly. And that's part of the reason why we gather together here as a church, as the body of Christ together, so that we can worship God uh, directly and formally and very intentionally here on Sunday mornings. God deserves your time. 
Remember again, everything does not depend on your self-effort. You don't have to keep going 24-7 every day. The world is not going to stop spinning if you take a break. Trust God with that. Trust that, uh, that he will care for you and give you what you need, even if you think, well, I can't afford to do this. God is going to provide what you need. Trust him with your time. I want to say this as well, too. Guard the Lord's Day in your heart and on your calendar. I just want to encourage you to do that. Yes, we do not keep the Jewish Sabbath as originally commanded on the seventh day. Um, We don't do that. And personally, I don't see enough uh, evidence in Scripture to indicate that the, the Sabbath has been transferred to the first day of the week. There's some Christians that would hold to that. But it does seem likely to me that there's at least an underlying Sabbath principle that God knows that we need to take this time that is to be set apart, to cease the ordinary things that we're doing and to focus on him especially. I want to say again, this is not meant to be about legalism. And there may have been times where a lot of Christians were very legalistic about all the things that you can't do on a Sunday. And I'm not saying that we need to get back to that, but I do think the pendulum has swung the other side. We're now, Sunday for, for so many is just, there's nothing about it that is different from any other day of the week. There's nothing at all that sets it apart as, as the Lord's Day. Maybe some people view it as family day and there can be good things, but it, it's the Lord's day. And I think we need to make choices to guard it in our hearts and in our lives and our calendars as well too. Again, there's some things that have to happen and I'm glad that emergency rooms are open on Sundays. And there's sometimes there's things that cannot be uh, avoided. And again, I'm not here to get legalistic, but just remember we do make choices. And there's a lot of things we put on our calendars for ourselves or for our families that we need to take more time to step back and say, should we do this? Yes, we can. Maybe we want to. Maybe our kids want to. But, but should we do this? Or is it going to be pulling us away? Is it going to be pulling us away, especially from worship with God's people on Sunday morning? And to guard that more in, intentionally. And I hope you guard it in your heart too. It's not just a matter of, well, get yourself to church and then once you leave, turn off God for the rest of the day. I'm not saying that you have to spend the whole day, you know, in in prayer and Bible study. It would be great if we did more of that, especially on a Sunday. But in a way that even if you are spending time with family, even if you are going out with with church members, which is a great thing to do, fellowship is important, where you're keeping that focus, that special focus on the Lord in a way that is even notched up from what it is every other day. And I do hope that you're not people, that we're not people that uh, we only think about the Lord one day out of the week. Uh, there's a sense where uh, it, every day should be a day that we're intentionally thinking about the Lord. But I think it would be good for us to think more about what we can do to guard the Lord's day. Remember the Jews, for them, the Sabbath was, it was blessed. It was set apart as holy. And so as Christians, set apart the Lord's day to cease from your normal routines so that you can focus on Jesus Christ and to rest in him. We shouldn't be just treating the Lord's Day as if it's just the second Saturday in a row that we have. And think about this too. Again, I, I, I don't want us to be legalistic about this, but there's time we need to stop and reflect on what God has accomplished. 
And if they were called to do this in the Old Testament, with God's grandeur in creation and this world, and later on reflecting on God that delivered them out of Egypt, how much more Christian should we take time to focus on Jesus Christ, our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that not only created us and upholds us, but that came to this earth, lived a perfect life for you and I, died on the cross for our sins, for your sins, and then rose from the dead. If God deserved time in the Old Testament for what he had already accomplished there, how much more should we be making sure that we are taking adequate time to stop the normal things and to think about him? You know, when the Lord created the world, he was done on the sixth day. He was finished and he ceased. When Jesus went to the cross for you, think of what he did right before he died. He said, it is finished. The work for your salvation has been accomplished. And therefore, we find our rest in him. Christian, find your rest in Christ. Hebrews 4, 9 through 10, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest is also rested from his works as God did from his. If you are still trying to work and earn your salvation, rest from that. It's not a matter of uh, be good and do good and that's what gets you saved. Jesus Christ did it. When you trust in him, you enter into his rest. You need more than a nap. You need to rest secure in the arms of the God who made you, who saved you, and watches over you. This is what you were created for. As Augustine said, you have made us for thyself and our hearts find no rest until they find their rest in thee. And that's why Jesus came to come to me, all those who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. We give you praise as our creator and the one who rested even though he did not grow weary so that we who do grow weary can find our rest in you. Help us find a rest physically. Help us to take the time for you and to cease from the ordinary when we need to so we can focus on you and receive recreation, rejuvenation from you. And most of all, let us cease from trying to earn our salvation and our acceptance with you and to realize that because Jesus Christ has finished that, we can rest in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.